minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter, at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember, you can always subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And, of course, you can always check us out over at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Welcome back to another Friday edition of the show, Andrew. Great to be here as always, Kyle. I'm excited to talk some football this week. Yeah, we're really excited to do some... We don't have real football, but we have some great, great topics on hand. Right, absolutely. We're we're really excited to be diving into some new topics, something a little bit different that we're going to get into later in the show. We're going to be breaking down the other NFC North teams' off-seasons over the next few weeks. But before we get into that, the Green Bay Nation faced some sad news this past weekend when we learned of the passing of Packers legend Bart Starr. And by all accounts, Starr was just... He's just as impressive both on and off the field. If you've been on Twitter at all this week, you've seen countless stories written about Star and the kind of man that he was. And so from a football standpoint, the Packers obviously lost a great one who will be remembered for his on-the-field performances. But even more incredible is that you are hard-pressed to find someone or anyone who has a negative thought on Bart Starr. And, you know, it just really speaks to the kind of man that he was and how he lived his life. Yeah, and the passing of Bart Starr is, of course, super difficult news for Packers fans everywhere. Starr was an all-time great quarterback in the NFL, a long-time coach, but much more importantly, as you've alluded to, he was a genuinely great human being. And we've heard a ton over the last six days about um, how great a person Bart Starr was and personal stories from people who are much more eloquent than myself. But I wanted to take a few minutes to talk about the time that I got to meet Bart Starr. Um, It was at an event called Packers Fan Fest that they used to have. Um, This was back in 2006, and Fan Fest was an event the Packers put on where fans really got to interact with current players and legends and hear from the management. Well, every single day when you entered, you got a scratch-off ticket for an autograph session with a Packers legend. And, of course, my brother, being lucky, got the Bart Starr (laughs) ticket on the last day, which was the highlight of the whole event. And I decided, because I didn't really have anything else to do, I would just wait with him in line. And um, we were getting towards the end of a very long line, and the guy in front of us decided he wasn't going to wait, and he gave me a scratch-off ticket. So those audio sessions were limited to two hours. So at two hours, they kind of cut the line, and they told everybody else, sorry. Um, but they're done. And we were an hour and a half into this and we we're still really far from even getting into it. So time is going on and on and we finally get closer to the front of the line. But at this point, we had already been in line for three and a half hours and absolutely nobody would have been upset if the Packers had pulled them like even then, Bart Starr was 72, 73 years old. And, and so I'm sure, you know, that amount of time being with fans, signing, interacting with them was was pretty exhausting. Um, but we we eventually got to the front and and I was the very last person in this line. And he was clearly tired, but he made every single fan feel valued. And over the last week, of course, we've seen all these testimonials about who he was as a person and 
that's what I will always remember about Butch Star. He he made me feel really special, um, just like the first person who was in line probably did. And so that was really cool. My picture with Bart Starr is something I will always treasure. Um, if you watch the YouTube live we did in the draft, my pet, uh, my Bart Starr signed football was right behind me because it's kind of like the one piece of Packers memorabilia I hold dearest. And um, he was the MVP of human beings to me and really probably uh, just factually the most important person in the city of Green Bay's history for all he did for for the town. So I'm sure my experience wasn't all that unique, but it was definitely cathartic to talk about that out loud. I've, I've never really understood when people have these powerful reactions to celebrity deaths, but to me, Bart Starr, he was more than just a celebrity and really like a true pillar of the NFL and the entire state of Wisconsin. Yeah, 100%. They don't come any better than Star. And it's in these times of uh, of losing a great that you really do, you know, sit back and think about all that it is that they've contributed uh, both on and off the field. But for today's show, we, like we said at the beginning, we'll admit that there are some lulls in the offseason, sometimes that are kind of pretty slow. Uh, this is just not a time that there's a lot of news breaking on a daily basis. But that doesn't mean that there's not plenty for us to talk about. There's always another layer of the offseason to peel back and study just a little bit closer. And so today, as we teased at the beginning of the show, we want to start by taking a look not at what the Packers did this offseason, but what their rivals did. So that's right. Andrew and I are going to spend some time over the next couple of Fridays digging deep into the offseasons of the Vikings and the Bears and the Lions. The Packers play 16 games in a season. Pretty cool. I know that, right? Facts. Uh, facts. Uh, but six of those 16 games are played against divisional rivals. And so we thought it would be worth our time and yours to put these three NFC North teams under the microscope a little bit and talk about their free agency additions and, and the losses that they had as well and their draft picks and then discuss whether or not these rivals of the pack got better or worse during the offseason. So let's jump right in here and talk about these three rivals, uh, starting with uh, one of our maybe hated rivals today, Andrew. Yeah, so it's it's the rival who doesn't quite live up to the hype, right? Uh, it's it's We're going to start with the Minnesota Vikings this week, and they are certainly coming off a disappointing 8-7-1 2018 season. Um, their really dominant defense took a step back. The signing of Kirk Cousins did not pay off the dividends they needed, and their offensive line continued, continued to be their Achilles heel. And so we are going to take a look at what they did during the free agency period. Uh, the Vikings made some moves in free agency to supplement supplement this roster for sure, and people make fun of how cap-strapped the Vikings are because of the Kirk Cousins deal. And I am one of those people. And I, I'm just, I've never been a big believer in Cousins. Uh, something fun to think about, actually, is what if the Vikings hadn't signed Cousins? And that could be like a hard stop right there, actually. Like, what if they hadn't signed Cousins? Hard stop. Um, but instead, what if they had rolled with Case Keenum for another season or two? And then instead of the Dolphins, the Vikings traded for Josh Rosen. 
And then they would have been able to continue to stockpile talent uh, with a talented quarterback like Rock, like Rosen on an insanely cheap rookie deal. Um, it just would have been an incredible situation for Minnesota to be in. But unfortunately for Vikings fans and for the Vikings organization, that is not real. Instead, they are stuck with Kirk Cousins. And so Rick Spielman's job is to do this best to add talent to this team via the draft and some reasonably priced free agents. And this year, honestly, free agency played out pretty well for the Vikings. Anthony Barr was all but lost to the New York Jets before having a change of heart at the last second. And not losing Barr is probably one of the best things that the Vikings did this offseason. They also gave Adam Thielen an extension, which is huge. And they were able to bring back center Brett Jones, running back Amir Abdullah, and kicker Dan Bailey. Uh, So even before any additions that Minnesota made, keeping guys like Barr and Thielen in the fold for the reasonable future um, and a foreseeable future was really, really huge for this team. But in addition to keeping their guys, the Vikings did make some additions by signing offensive guard Dakota Dozier and offensive guard Josh Klein. And so obviously the Vikings wanted to improve their offensive line. This is an emphasis that they started in free agency, and it's a trend that we'll see continue when Andrew talks a little bit about the draft. Uh, But it was interesting to me that they brought in Klein and Dozier, who were basically replacement-level players in 2018. I know Dozier couldn't stay on the field, and he has a history of being a better player, but neither of these guys were top 50 guards in 2018, according to Pro Football Focus. And so I'm really interested to see what the Vikings expect to get out of those additions. So I felt like the the Vikings' best work in free agency was honestly keeping their own in spite of their limited cap room. And one of the Vikings' losses, I don't know how big of a loss this actually is, but they did lose Andrew Sandejo, who moved on to the Philadelphia Eagles. And I know that Andrew Mertig is just torn up to see Sandejo leave the NFC North. Yeah, well, Sandejo was grossly overrated two years ago. People were talking about him and Harrison Smith being the best safety duo in the league, uh, which is just absolutely laughable. Harrison Smith, of course, is a great player. Andrew Sandejo is not, but he, (laughs) you know, sometimes when you're playing next to a a great player, you you get uh, pumped up a little bit, and the sky certainly came crashing down on Sandejo in 2018. But what Kyle is not so subtly alluding to is that I called Sandejo out for being a garbage human being after basically (laughs) mocking the NFL for trying to limit brain trauma with his make football violent again hat. Uh, I do like the Anthony Barr move, but uh, he's been highly overrated as a player. I mean, Eric Kendricks that plays alongside him is far superior in just about everything except potential. And Anthony Barr hasn't lived up to that yet. Um, So I, I, I did think it was particular hilar- particularly hilarious to see Vikings fans like turn on him uh, on Twitter only to have to welcome him back with open arms like a day later. <laughs> um, Dan Bailey helps to solidify their kicking game. He wasn't awesome last year, but um, I think that's certainly more reliable than, than trying to go after rookie kicker number 28 for them. Um, I like Josh Klein um, as a depth guard. But uh, that's certainly something that they're looking to address. I thought tackle was a big issue, and they didn't really seem to to hit on that in free agency. So I thought maybe maybe they'd target a little bit more in the draft, and they pass on a ton of tackles. So 
clearly they didn't love what was available there or they really like who's on the roster now. Um, but that drew, brings me to the draft class. So in the first round, we know the Vikings took center Garrett Bradbury out of North Carolina State. And uh, to me, that is an absolute slam dunk pick. When we did the podcast on the night of the first round, I said I liked the Vikings draft the most of any team after night one. Um, and Bradbury is the ideal zone blocking center. And it allows Pat Elfline to slide inside to guard. So they successfully improved two spots on their offensive line with just one pick. Um, in the second round, they took tight end Irv Smith Jr. out of Alabama. And Kyle has repeatedly pointed out that a player with Irv Smith Jr.'s athletic profile has never succeeded in the NFL. But he is incredibly young. <laughs> I, I just have a really hard time imagining Irv Smith Jr. becoming a top-notch receiver or a, a um, you know blocker. I, I don't know what he does to a great level. And I don't think the Vikings were able to find that replacement for Kyle Rudolph that they were looking for. Um, and I'm not sure how well Irv Smith is going to fit in with that offense um, or be able to transition as an NFL player. In the third round, they took Alexander Madison, the running back out of Boise State, who I really like. Um, I do. He is going to be a good alternative to Delvin Cook. But taking a backup running back in the third round, is that really like a good value? In the modern NFL, if you aren't getting a starter at running back, I'm not sure why you would ever take one before the fifth round. And I don't really see much of a difference between Madison and the Packers' six-round pick, Dexter Williams. Like, they're, they're very similar players. Madison's probably a better version of Williams, but when you're talking about a third-round pick, I, I would think you'd want more of an impact. Um, in the fourth, they got guard Drew Samia out of Oklahoma, um, and I know that uh, he is somebody that uh, our buddies at the Draft Network are really high on coming into the draft. He is a good value, and I think he could actually push to be a starter in year one, and Bradbury, Elfline, and Samia are going to be some good building blocks going forward for that interior of the Vikings offensive line. Um they had a ton of picks in the fifth through seventh <laughs> round, and we are not going to cover all of them. We could, but that would be the whole show. Um, the one that stuck out to me in the seventh round, they got wide receiver Dylan Mitchell out of Oregon. He is my favorite of those late-round selections because he has a ton of talent. He's young. He's going to be given time to develop behind Diggs and Thielen, and, man, he has some serious speed. So um, that could be somebody that's a little bit scary for the rest of the NFC North in a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. I really like this Vikings draft quite a bit, actually. Um, that fifth round through the seventh round, I actually just thought you like may have like copied and pasted like an entire round of players, like as like options of players that they should have taken. Because I was like, where are all these guys? They have a lot of guys that will be competing for the bottom of the roster spots for sure. When you look at what they got late in the draft, um, yeah, they had they had three sixth rounders and four seventh rounders yeah so that's, that's, uh, crazy. that's a lot that's a lot that's gonna be a tough that's gonna be a tough group for any undrafted free agencies to try to break through the to make that team but i really did like this draft uh, especially when you consider their needs and how they address them uh, like andrew said making two picks on the interior of the offensive line that will allow your interior group to be elfline bradbury and samia is really solid and has the potential to be a huge upgrade for them and i really do like irv smith uh, Andrew said, you know, that I am very skeptical of his success in the league, um, but I liked him and I wanted him to test better than he did. Um, I would have been OK with Green Bay taking him in the second round. But if he six, six, if he succeeds, he's a unicorn because there are just not a lot of guys 
uh, with his athletic profile and his size that have found success in the NFL. And so a team is going to have to be creative with how they use him, understanding that he's not a size mismatch type of tight end. And so if the Vikings think that Irv Smith will step in and replace what Kyle Rudolph brings to the field, I think that that's a pretty big mistake. So we'll see how that situation plays out because it sounds like Rudolph isn't super happy that the Vikings drafted a tight end and took one pretty high in the draft. Uh, Like Andrew said, running back in the third round was confusing to me. I was not super familiar with Madison, if I'm being honest, uh, until after the draft. Um, But I think if you look at this situation, it's really interesting because they have Dalvin Cook. And by all accounts, they're hoping that he comes back and has a really impactful season. And so taking a running back in the third round, if nothing else, just kind of made me pause and wonder if maybe they're a little bit skeptical about what they think Dalvin Cook can handle as a workload or what his health will be long term. So we'll have to wait and see if we get a little bit more explanation for why they would take a running back in the third round. But let's go ahead here now that we've gotten through free agency and the draft and let's make some judgments. Uh, The favorite thing we like to do here about the Vikings. Let's make some judgments about the Vikings. Did they get better or did they get worse this offseason? Yeah, the really interesting part of evaluating teams um, is when you have a veteran roster like the Vikings do, you have to get significantly better to make up for your players getting older. Because as we've seen with multiple teams over you know the last five to ten years, really impactful players don't always stay impactful for a really long period of time. And you saw some regression with this Minnesota Vikings team. So... You have Everson Griffin, Limvell Joseph, Harrison Smith. They're all over 30 now. So their defense is going to have to, number one, stay healthy, and they're going to have to get contributions from some key young players. To me, the one that stuck out the most is cornerback Mike Hughes. He has to be really good for their secondary to thrive because Xavier Rhodes is going to hold down that other side. Um, but they, they're going to be you know, a little bit lacking in that second corner. That's been a weakness for them for a while. Um, they also need to figure out who's going to play that other safety position opposite of Harrison Smith. But they've essentially made no significant additions to their defense at all. So at best, they can hope for a bounce back from a few players, but I don't expect their defense to be any better than it was last year. Now, I said it was a disappointing year earlier in the show. They were still good. Uh, don't get me wrong. Like There is still an upper echelon defense. Um, but to expect that they're going to get significantly better in any way, I think would be a little bit uh, optimistic on a Minnesota Vikings fan. And at this point, don't we kind of have to assume Kirk Cousins is just exactly the player he's shown that he is to this point in his career? Um, you know, he's a above average NFL quarterback who makes terrible decisions at times <laughs> and uh, will be fine if the rest of your team is really good. And he gets paid $30 million. So you can't you can't forget that part of his resume. That's that's a pretty big deal. Um, and that's a big part of this is like really what could the Vikings do to really honestly assess where they are and their quarterback play and how they've, you know, kind of uh, divvied up the, the cap money and just trying to put themselves in the best position to get the most out of Kirk Cousins that they can. And so I'm going to say that the Vikings got a little better. Uh, and mostly on the offensive line. I think that's the place that you see the big upgrade. I think Bradbury and Samia combined with the free agent additions of Klein and Dozier and parting ways with Mike Remmers gives this team a chance to be much better on the offensive line, which bodes well for the running game and for helping Kirk Cousins stay upright in 2019. And I I really like the aggressive investment, investment that they made on the offensive line. I really think it's an aggressive investment 
in Kirk Cousins. The Vikings know that Cousins isn't special enough to elevate the play of the guys around him. I think if Kirk Cousins was a running back, he's the guy who gets what's blocked for him and nothing else. So the Vikings did their best this offseason to build a better offensive line for Cousins to maximize what they get out of him in that $30 million contract. Uh, But that said, even though I think the Vikings took some positive steps, I'm not sure they did enough to keep up with what some other teams in the NFL, and specifically the NFC North, did. For instance, I love that Minnesota added Bradbury and Samia. I think those are great additions. But do I think that those upgrades cancel out the additions of Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Rashad? On Gary? Absolutely not. And so even though I really like the Vikings additions, when it comes to what we actually will notice on the field, I think we will actually see a team that looks very, very similar to what it did in 2018. And so maybe I'm wrong, but I think this is a nine and seven roster that has a chance to be a little bit better if Dalvin Cook has a monster year and this defense returns to its dominant ways. But while I like what this team did this offseason, I don't think There's that much that you can actually say has changed. There are a lot of questions uh, surrounding Mike Zimmer and his handle on the locker room. And so especially if this Vikings team stumbles out of the gate, I think the Vikings could really struggle to get on track and to be as competitive as a lot of fans think that they'll be in 2019. Yeah, and so when we look forward to 2019, the Packers do host the Minnesota Vikings in Week 2, and then they travel to the U.S. Bank Bird Murder Dome in Week 16. Uh, And as you pointed out, Green Bay is expected to be much better on defense, and I think that closes the gap between the two teams, especially without the Vikings improving at tackle a lot. And one important thing to remember is that the Minnesota Vikings aren't chasing the Green Bay Packers. They're chasing the Chicago Bears at this point, Um, and I don't know that they did enough to, to to um, counter what the Bears have on their defense. Um, And I think the Packers may have taken a step above the Vikings as well. So um, it will be interesting to see. And and I think it was good to take a look at one of the division rivals. Um, But that is all the time that we have for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Please subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Jake and Mark. And you can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We are going to be back next week with a review of the Detroit Lions offseason. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... traded to Green Bay, I wasn't real sure where Green Bay was, but I was for certain. I knew who Bart Starr was. I knew what he stood for. I knew that he quarterbacked the Packers in what would be the glory years and and just was a an icon. I knew that. I do remember Bart would always go out of his way to come say hello. And, and I just thought to myself, I mean, this is crazy. Why would he want to talk to me? And, um, you know, just a very humble guy. Bart is that guy that, you know, he is the, the perfect example of what it means to be an incredible player but a better person. You know, I think he's a great role model for all of us. But even more when you're a Green Bay Packer and you realize how much he's meant to this community. You know, one thing that he did, he always would send me a personal letter after I accomplished, you know, something. Not necessarily something of any magnitude. It may have been my first win. It may have been 
you know, a three-game stretch. Or it may have been, you know, I didn't play as, as well. And we a tough loss. Send me a nice left. You know, there'll be better days. That, that's just the type of guy he was. To have people talk about what a great guy you are before what incredible quarterback, I think is a dream of, of many players who play because your reputation lasts longer than, than your body and lasts longer than the stats and the wins. But we wouldn't have this place if it hadn't been for a guy like Bart and the championships that they won and the Super Bowls and the MVPs that he won. But he is an incredible, incredible man and uh, he's been a great friend over the years. Star begins the count. Takes the snap. He's got the quarterback. He can easily the touchdown of the Packers around in front. 20 to 17. There's 13 seconds joined on the clock, and the Green Bay Packers are going to be world champions, NFL champions for the third straight year.